0: On this episode of the Heartland Pod for Monday, January 8th, 2024, special guest host Laura Bellen from Bleeding Heartland joins us. We're talking about Iowa's book ban being overturned, abortion rights in the spotlight, Missouri farmland, Supreme Court taking up Trump's ballot case, and Biden's 2024 message at Valley Forge. Lots to talk about, so let's go. Welcome to the Heartland Pod, where we are working together to change the conversation in politics. My name is Adam Summer, and I am here with our usual co-hosts and our guest co-host, Laura, who I will start with you. If if you would just tell them who you are, what you're from, I, I said it at the top, but... Helpful for you to say it and kind of explain to us what you all do over there for the folks who have not yet heard you on our shows, even though you've been on a couple. I um, want to make sure that the the new folks are initiated and the ones who haven't caught it yet know what's going on.
1: Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm Laura Bellin. My primary work is I, I am the primary author and editor and publisher of the Iowa political website Bleeding Heartland. I'm also the part-time statehouse reporter for KHOI Community Radio, which is based in Ames, Iowa. And I have a Substack newsletter that is called Iowa Politics with Laura Bellin. But I cover kind of all things Iowa politics.
0: I love it. It's been a pleasure getting to know you from a distance on my end and watching you with Jess and working with those shows and listening back. And I'm happy to get to have you here on the full Monday pod Uh, along with us as usual. John Diller, how are you doing? Oh, and Laura, I forgot to ask you the ceremonial question. I can't believe that. First pod of the year and I, I skipped the question: What you sipping on?
1: Herbal tea tonight. Beautiful orange tea.
0: Well, cheers. Mine is lemon, but same same idea. Sean, Sean Dillerman, how about you? How you doing? Welcome back. It's a new year, uh, new you, or just same old Sean? And what you sipping on? <laughs> <laughs> Which is good enough for me, by the way. You don't need to do anything. Thanks. I had this like freak out. I
2: was like, oh my god. Um, yeah.
0: Don't change a thing. Right. Thanks.
2: <laughs> um. No, yeah, black coffee on ice, obviously. And yeah. um, speaking of not changing, I do have some uh, lemon ginger herbal tea. My five year old got me this mug for Christmas. It says a grouchy German is a sauerkraut. <laughs> <laughs> I opened it up immediately, started laughing. What? <laughs> I know a am using The next time I'm at Sean Diller's house, I'll tell you that.
3: Why much. did she get you that mug?
2: I yeah. don't know. I mean, she can't even really That's read. So sweet. Um, yeah. So I think right.
3: So Her she mama just, said, does she just like? Does she just like the little guy on the cup or something? Well, actually, Is there like a grouchy so German on Michelle there. Michelle told
2: me what happened, so uh, she's right at the age my five year old, uh, where she wants the biggest. Thing possible, always the best thing. Like a week ago, I handed her my phone, like we were ordering food from a restaurant. And I was like, I'll let you scroll through if you can pick something responsible like grilled cheese or chicken. And she goes right to like this pecan sandy, you know, Sunday explosion and like puts it in the bag. Um, <laughs> so for this Christmas, I guess what Callie wanted to get me was just a massive sign that said, something like Merry Christmas that wouldn't even fit in this office. And Michelle was like, what about the cup? She's like, well, whatever.
0: Good save. Good save. (laughs) Rachel Parker. How about you? How you doing? Uh, Welcome back from the holidays and uh, what you sipping on.
3: I'm doing okay. I'm going to dedicate the pod tonight to, uh, my father-in-law died, um, during the break. It was not entirely unexpected. I should say he was in that he was 89 and he'd been in failing health. Um, as a lot of octogenarians are and, uh, he caught COVID, um, get your boosters y'all. Uh, and it just, it just kind of was the thing. Um, so mm-hmm. he passed away right before the new year. And, um, right. so we've been, a we've been a little wobbly over here, but, uh, my husband went out to go see him for a few, not to go see him, but see his family in San Francisco for a few days. And he just got back last night. So we're a little bit like more, but, um, Richard Rosen was a Democrat. He, uh, was a big, was a big booster. Uh, he went to, he went to grad school in Berkeley, uh, in California. He lived in San Francisco. He was, I wouldn't say like an arch progressive, but he was definitely like, uh, people should have access to healthcare and education guy. And, um, uh, uh, certainly ahead of his time in a lot of ways, uh, he's far more liberal than a lot of people I know that are far younger than he is, for example. Um, the world is a little bit smaller because he's no longer in it. And I am happy to dedicate, uh, at least my, I, you guys don't have to dedicate your portion of the shit to him, but I'm going to dedicate my time this evening to, uh, Mr. Dick Rose. And it's, I'm, I'm sad to say that he never got to see this work. Uh, and Elliot has said to me over and over again that, uh, in his mind, that was always a tragedy because, um, Dr. Richard Rosen would have really loved uh, what we're doing here. So, yeah, and I'm sipping on water. Very, very boring tonight. Death and water. Happy New Year, you guys.
0: <laughs> well, cheers, cheers to Elliot and and much love. Uh, and I know that was something that we all thanks were sending your way when we were you're getting the messages to us, and uh, certainly certainly a good thing to do a show for. So, um, we should we should absolutely do that. Uh, really quickly, before we get to the substance that we have on tonight, just to remind folks, you can support what we do by leaving a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to the show and follow us on social media with at the heartland pod. Take a moment, share the show with somebody this week, send them the link from where you listen, let them know what's going on, especially we're in 2024. We're here. It's happening. The election's coming, folks, uh, 10 months. Just, you're not even going to realize so It's going to be Super Tuesday before you know it. A reminder, you can find us now over at theheartlandcollective.com. Find all of the podcast articles that are over there. You can get signed up to be a part of our Patreon support at $5 a month or up. A cup of coffee, you can help us out, and it's huge. We don't have advertisers. We don't have other owners. It's us. This is true independent media, and everybody who supports us is part of that independent media creation. For this show, Jess Piper's Dirt Road Democrat and all of the shows that we create over here. And this is our first show. So if you're just listening to the show, or even just watching the YouTube version that gets put out, you're missing out. And here's why. Because this is live recording Sunday nights uh, for the $10 up members. And this is our first one. So if you're a $10 and up member, and it's Monday, and you're listening to the show, and you're like, damn, don't worry, we're going to keep doing it. You didn't miss it. It was just the first time. Uh, it's an it's a new thing for everybody. So, uh, especially as you know, we're gonna, football season's going to end. No more Sunday night football. What else are you going to do, right? Are you going to watch The Bachelor? Like, my and wife, you can watch us like,
3: And you can watch us like screw up and and, yeah. and like stumble like in the live. You'll because it's going to get cleaned up. The cleaner yeah. version is what goes out uh, on the on the airwaves. But this live stuff, that's like yeah, the, I've yet to, you to watch just how brushed. hilarious
1: Don Diller can be
0: exactly <laughs> right exactly exactly so do so change, change, change goes out
1: live so i'm jealous you get an editor we just
0: have
1: to, <laughs> we just have to wing it every monday at 7 p.m that also is old school fun. it does sound fun
0: yeah it sounds like a lot of fun talking politics all right we are jumping into talking politics oh and by the way there is going to be a last call so for the subscribers Uh, You know what to do with that for the non-subscribers. You'll get a little preview at the end of this show. We're going to be talking Nikki Haley, no holds barred, uh, all bets off, whatever other generic saying like that you want to put in there. uh, That's what we're going to do. So it's a lot of fun. And those go to the members only over on our Patreon. Our first thing that I want to bring up, uh, we're going to spend some time with Laura first. She uh, has joined us. She is in Iowa. And there was a, a pretty horrific school shooting that happened in Iowa recently, and Laura, I'd like to start with that before we get into uh, the other part uh, with the book ban. Uh, that shooting happened, and then President Trump uh, said that folks in Iowa should just get over it. And yeah. can, you, can you give us a sense of the reaction up in Iowa?
1: He was what? Well, I was watching that Trump rally on Friday online. I was not there in person, but yeah, he mm-hmm. said, it's just horrible. It's horrible. You don't expect it to happen here. But uh, we we just need to get over it. And it was kind of a stunning Mm. thing. But if if you've watched and I've been watching a lot of the Trump rallies this year, I mean, he goes on these riffs and it always circles back to himself. So he's so self-centered. I wasn't surprised that he was not able to really offer a, any sincere empathy but it is horrifying i mean it was the first day back at school for that the perry school district it's a small town a little bit northwest of the des moines area and it's just something i mean i have uh my younger son is still in public school i mean it's just every parent's worst nightmare that you send your yeah. child to school and it could happen anywhere in any school on any day
0: And just the idea of telling, you know, you say just northwest of Des Moines. So this is not like, this is a small community, right? The the impact of of a school shooting on a small community like this, you're talking about, you know, a ripple effect that touches the whole town.
1: Oh, yes. I mean, this is a very, the community, I think it's about 8,000 population. And it's people in the community work in the Des Moines area. But I mean, it is a very, it's a close-knit community. And Mm -hmm. it was just... It was heartbreaking to read the stories. This happened during, it was before school when the shooting happened, they were serving breakfast. And so the child mm. who was killed was a sixth grader. It happened in the high school, but they served the free, the breakfast mm. program happened in the high school gymnasium. So he was, he was a middle schooler. He was in the high schooler. And I read something that the high school students were trying to help them. The younger students mm. were there for the breakfast. They were trying to help them get out before they left the school themselves
0: absolute tragedy, absolute tragedy. And I think uh, we will not get over it. We will continue to bring those up and continue to talk about the problems of gun violence and uh, highlight it and highlight it. So.
1: Well, it could come up during this legislative session because last year the Iowa House Republicans had a bill, they passed it out of the House, that would have allowed people to keep firearms in locked vehicles on school grounds. So mm-hmm. like in a lot or you could have it in your vehicle if you were picking up a child from school, for instance, and that got through the House. The Senate didn't move on it because the insurance industry was very unhappy about it. So it was a yeah. battle of the big interest groups, right? The gun people and the insurance people. Hmm. So, but I'm sure the House Republicans are going to try again on this thing. But when some tragedy like this happens, it's just a reminder that having more guns around schools does not make people safer.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's move into the other topics. And we're going to stay in Iowa and we're going to kick it off with uh, actually a yeah, yeah, kind of switch things up a little bit.
4: <laughs>
0: yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Up in Iowa, they tried to do uh, what I have been asked about from many places <laughs> in Missouri, uh, different libraries and stuff. Uh, tried to do what a lot of people have tried to do on the Republican agenda, which is. Ban a bunch of books. And a court in Iowa said, no, it's staggeringly broad. They're not going to let it stand. Uh, Too many restrictions on what's going on inside of it. Laura, can you help us understand what the ban was, what the court has said here as we get into this issue?
1: yeah I, I it's so rare that I get to report any good news. I was really excited about this one so <laughs> that's why I I'm, wanted
0: to lead with it because it's
1: <laughs> <laughs> the legislature and the governor last year just it was just a full assault on the public yeah. school system from a really expansive school voucher program to this the book bans they also passed the bathroom bill but this was the most sweeping education bill was this one it included a ban on all books depicting with, with visual or descriptions of a sex act. And that was K through 12. So any description of a sex act, the book is out. And they've talked about this as we were just trying to get rid of sexually explicit books or pornography in schools. And many people mentioned books like genderqueer, books that have been at the center of this. But the way the law was written was it did not say sexually explicit. It did not say obscene. It did not say pornographic. It said, all, it said books, materials in libraries and classrooms have to be age-appropriate appropriate and age appropriate does not include anything that is the visual depiction or or description of a sex act. And so That was part of, there were actually two lawsuits, but um, the other portion of this bill that was, uh, that was enjoined by this federal judge was what we've been calling don't say gay or don't say trans, a curriculum instruction restrictions from K through six. So no program, no curriculum teaching, and uh, no promotion of gender identity and sexual orientation. And so there were two separate lawsuits, which have not been consolidated, but the U.S. District Court in Des Moines, they consolidated the hearing on whether to enjoin the law. And the timing was important because certain provisions of this law were going to be subject to enforcement on January 1st. So the lawsuits were filed in late November and the court moved pretty quickly. They had a hearing on the motions on December 22nd, and then he issued the ruling a week later, and it was a pretty long ruling, more than 40 pages. It was very well reasoned. And this judge, by the way, I know people always ask, who's the judge? He was a Biden appointee, but he was recommended by our Republican senators, Chuck Grassley and Joni Ernst. They right. they suggested the name, the White House, the president appointed this guy. Chuck Grassley was very enthusiastic, helped this guy get confirmed in 2022. So a kind of, I would say a hybrid, right? I mean, he was right. a Biden appointee, but he was somebody who was very acceptable to Republicans. But he said, look, this, the book ban, it's way too broad. It's sweeping. Yeah. It is, it's a bulldozer where other school districts have used a scalpel to remove a few books or movies that people found offensive. This is a bulldozer that has resulted in hundreds of books being removed from libraries. And as for the teaching restrictions, he said, if you just look at the language of the statute that no discussion promotion, et cetera, related to gender identity or sexual orientation, that is, that's so broad that it could be like schools can't offer separate boys and girls bathrooms, schools can't offer, boys and girls basketball teams, any teacher can't say, please call me Mr. Loker at the beginning right. of the year because that's a gender identity, you know, like anything, almost any book that you could possibly read has some, some, and he said, I know that, that it's likely that the legislature was trying to target LGBTQ topics, but just looking at the plain text of the law, that's not what they did. And we have to look at what the law says and not what they thought they were doing.
0: Yeah, Sean, uh this opinion I took a look at it. I don't know if you had a chance to, but it, I mean the you know, he he uses the phrase in there, uh, I'm going to paraphrase, but basically he says, I don't care what scrutiny you apply to this, it wouldn't pass, right? It doesn't it's not strict scrutiny, rational basis, intermediate, doesn't matter. And in constitutional law terms, that's like saying you've written uh like the worst possible law you could write.
1: Yeah. And the book bans, I mean, there were two separate lawsuits. So one of them was a group of LGBTQ students and an advocacy organization, Iowa Safe Schools. They sued uh, challenging several provisions of the law. And the other lawsuit was brought by Penguin Random House, yeah. four of the bestselling authors who have had books removed and uh, educators and a high school student. And one thing that he pointed out with the book bans is that in Iowa, the age of consent is 16. So this 17-year-old plaintiff or you know many other high school students, they are literally, they can legally consent to sex in Iowa, and yet they can't read a book in school that describes a sex act. And it's not just again, they didn't use anything like an obscenity standard that looks at the book as a whole and what is the purpose and doesn't have educational value. So some of the books getting removed were things like uh, historical books. there was a book about the rape of Nanking that was removed. there were there was a book about how to protect yourself against sexual abuse or sexual assault. I mean, it was just just a huge array. I mean the Orwell's book 1984, when you think about how many books, depict a sex act Mm -hmm. it's a lot right Mm -hmm. i mean a mockingbird so no it's not going to survive and as for the other i thought it was funny that he said you know critics of the law have said it's have called it don't say gay or don't say trans but really it's a don't say anything yeah (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly and and honestly i mean i'm not a textualist right that's not like that's i I think that that is an approach more associated with conservative judges not only but you know but if you are gonna be straight and looking only at the text he is correct. I mean almost anything refers to asexual orientation or a gender identity
0: yeah it's it's prior restraint on prior restraint <laughs> sean what do you what do you think on this one
2: yeah i mean i I just
0: think about the politics
2: of it, and you know the Republicans are just they're just so short on issues they're actually comfortable talking about, and you know a lot of them are comfortable talking about this, <laughs> but right. you know their Their response to the the charge from the Biden Harris campaign and Democrats that the GOP poses a threat to democracy. They say, "Well, what about free speech? You know, but it's like you guys are passing hundreds and hundreds of laws like trying to ban books. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like yeah, free speech, you know it's just it's out of touch, it's dumb. I just I get upset thinking about people who work not in politics because they don't want to deal with being the target of some person with an agenda. You know, they're a librarian. You know, I heard someone on uh, NPR talking about, you know, she was coming to tears saying like, this was my dream job. Right. And I can totally see that. Like I love libraries huh. and the people who work there, like often have PhDs. Like, it's not like they just stumbled in, you know, that's what I was just going to say is like,
0: you don't, there is not a library in the country where the the head librarian just showed up and applied out of the blue. Like they didn't work there for a few years on the line at McDonald's and then become a store manager. Like they went to school to be a librarian. They have multiple degrees to do the job. They've probably worked in a library since they were old enough to work. And that's what they do. It's what their passion is. Um, Whether it's a school librarian or not, that's probably how they got there in the first place is some type of training. Rachel, uh, how about the messaging on this that it does send? You know, Sean's talking about the pure politics, but this feels like one where the the fundraising emails as a Democrat write themselves, and and if you're a reasonable Republican that who's been saying oh, we shouldn't do this.
3: Would you like to know the subject line of the fundraising email that I would send out? <laughs> yes. You couldn't teach the book of Genesis. Yeah. Under oh, this nice. law. Right. Oh, right. You.
1: Funny thing, Rachel. This is really funny. So this this bill went through several iterations as it bounced between the House and the Senate. And when it was in the Iowa Senate for the first time, somebody pointed out he started reading from the Bible. And you know there are certainly descriptions of sex acts. And he said, you know, you can't. The funny thing is that Iowa law has had a long-standing thing that says you can't require schools to remove the Bible, Quran, Torah, or other religious texts, you also can't require students to read them. So when it went back to the House and then it came back to the Senate, they actually put a little rider in the bill that said, like, notwithstanding Iowa Code chapter, whatever. So there is actually an exemption for the Bible. And the judge mentioned that in his ruling. He said it's almost worse because it's saying that (laughs) all other books might have no value, right? You can't if there's a description of a sex act, they're out. And yet, the Bible, we allow that because we consider the Bible to have value, despite the fact right. it describes a sex that act. People oh, get, right. be, that people get <laughs> people get raped in it. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I the mean, all it's... kinds of. Oh yeah, I mean, oh,
0: there's incest, there's rape, there's yeah, it's, it's oh, there's all, it's, across the board.
3: It's yeah, it's a, it's a bloodbath that whole thing. Um, Laura, you were mentioning. I'll say too, like we've talked about this before, that the idea that like when I got to college, I'd read. Hawthorne, and I had read uh, uh, Tess of the Durbervilles* and all these. Like they all have, at their message, at their at their core, the the kind of the inciting sort of story is that there's a woman who's pregnant, and you know some by choice. So you can't, if you're going to teach, if you're going to make competitive students who go off to college, and you give them the disadvantage of never having read these books. They're going to walk in on their freshman year and look at the world. Like, how did you guys know all this stuff? It's horrible, but, um,
1: yeah,
3: I I wanted to ask you really quickly. So you mentioned, we were kind of emailing back and forth about this. And you mentioned that the, the penguin random house lawyers were pretty impressed. Do you want to comment on that? Like basically you said that they really brought in some like very
1: heavy hitters and it kind of caught the, uh, the, the Iowa legal team sort of off guard. Well, the, the Penguin Random House, of course, they have their in house lawyers, but the the attorney they brought in to argue at the hearing, the federal court hearing on this injunction was a guy named Fred Sperling. And I wasn't familiar with him, but he's a very high power. He's most he's best known for having Michael Jordan as one of his clients. So this is it's I pretty mean good. And most- We're still at the preliminary injunction phase, right? I mean, this is not a final judgment that the law is unconstitutional. But if it ever one of my contacts mentioned to me, if it ever gets to the point of this law being struck down and the plaintiffs being able to get the state to pay their attorney's fees, these are going to be some very expensive attorney's fees. But I wanted to mention uh, one other thing about, you mentioned Hawthorne, because after this bill was passed in May, the Iowa Library Association, they sent the Department of Education a bunch of questions about this law. One of them was like, does this ban on gender identity and sexual orientation. Does that include heteronormative content? Didn't get a response. But one of the questions was are the ban on books that depict sex acts, does that include books that are on the AP literature exam? Because several of them do, right? And what how is that going to work in high schools if they can no longer teach students books Chaucer? That are...
3: We can't teach Chaucer anymore. Chaucer is out. Like no more Chaucer.
1: We read it, we read Milton. Like and, those things are I mean, the ruling, it was part of... Personally, the
0: fact that I wouldn't have had to read The Odyssey, I'm okay with that.
1: Right. I mean, there yes. are there are multiple First Amendment issues. Right. There's the student's First Amendment right to receive information, which was violated, and right. and that's probably right. But there's also the author's right, right, the book authors and publishers' right to have their books reach a target audience, including students, and that their rights are also violated. And in addition to the First Amendment problem, there's a Fourteenth Amendment due process problem because. If almost anything could be seen as violating this ban on discussing or promoting a sexual orientation or gender identity, then that it's void for vagueness because any educator or librarian mm-hmm. anywhere in the state would have no idea. Like it could be completely arbitrary that the state could bring down the hammer on one person and not another. And you have to be able to know how to not violate the law, right? If the law is written in such a way that there's no way that you can conduct yourself without potentially violating it and being subject to discipline, that's a problem. So that was partly why those teaching restrictions were enjoined. I should say uh, there was one part of the challenge law that he did not enjoin. The LGBTQ student plaintiffs were also challenging a provision that is a forced outing thing so that if a if a student asks for an accommodation at school, like going by a different name or different pronouns, the law says that the school administrators have to inform the parents or guardians about that. And the LGBTQ plaintiffs said that that was a violation of their rights. And the judge ruled that the, those students don't have standing to challenge that part of the law because they're out to their own families. So it doesn't directly affect
0: that. Talk about a chicken and egg issue that that would require for a qualified plaintiff to even right. have that discussion. It right, is interesting.
1: A child can't bring a lawsuit without their parent or being right. involved. Right. So. so it's
0: it's virtually impossible for that plaintiff to exist in yep. the environment. This uh Frederick J. Sperling, I, I looked up his uh professional website and he has put this now in his cases that fred has handled his examples he's got a nine million dollar verdict for michael jordan a 95 million dollar settlement uh, and a trading I- issue and this uh th- three three pretty big pretty big cases that he uh dealt with there laura thank you very much for joining us for this discussion anything else here about this book ban issue before we let you go and no, uh, say I didn't thanks don't... again
1: We're waiting to hear whether the state is going to try to appeal to the Eighth Circuit, appeal the injunction to see if they can enforce the law. I don't think they have a lot of good angles with the Eighth Circuit, but of course it is a very conservative circuit court that is dominated by Republican judges. So we're going to see how that goes. But meanwhile, I'm just getting ready for the Iowa legislative session to start. The State Board of Medicine is going to be adopting abortion rules that are a real horror show. So Mm. um, this is, I I appreciated the chance to talk about some good news coming out of because that might not be part of my world for the next little while here. Well, how do we can we get folks... any kind of
2: prediction from you on the primary between, here's the Ooh, pred- yeah, prediction yeah, I yeah. want, between Haley and DeSantis? Who do you think would okay. come out? Okay, who's going to come this? out
1: second? That's really tough for me. I guess I would say maybe Haley. I mean, I think Trump is going to absolutely blow the doors off. I think that as even though he's doing so well in the polls, I actually think he's going to outperform his polling numbers. And I think it could be the the forecast right now looks like extremely cold weather. And I feel like the people mm-hmm. who are the most enthusiastic about their candidates are the ones who will brave the cold and come out. And so that's I think the Trump
0: supporters all day long,
1: the percept the perception of DeSantis is that he's on a downward slide. And so I think a lot of people who I just know from having been a precinct captain for Democratic candidates before the 2004 and 2008 caucuses, that a certain percentage of people who commit to your candidate are just going to flake out at the last minute yeah show up, change their mind, because it's not as exciting to go if you think that your candidate is not going to win. So I would tend to think Haley, but I wouldn't be shocked if DeSantis finished second. But I feel like uh, Haley has carved out a pretty decent niche for herself. But I think they're both going to be so far behind Trump.
0: You don't think DeSantis gets people to get out and put the sandbags in the back of the truck and make the truck? (laughs)
1: Well, I mean the problem is,
0: the Iowa snow. <laughs>
1: is that you know he banked all year on the, the religious right and the governor support, but the the base vote, the evangelicals are yeah. mostly I mean, DeSantis has a substantial amount of support among those people, but it's not like the people who have won the Iowa caucuses with support from the Christian right, like Mike Huckabee, Rick Santorum, Ted Cruz. They were able to really consolidate that block. And right now, I mean, I think Trump has something like more than 200 pastors have endorsed him. He's just got a tremendous amount of support. And I just went to the Trump rally that was in Newton, which is not that far from Des Moines yesterday. And I mean, lots of religious imagery. And I mean, people really, I I just think it was, there was never in the cards for DeSantis, right? I mean, the the Mm -hmm. Republican base, most of the the base was just never looking for an alternative to Trump, in my opinion. So I feel like it was hopeless from the beginning. And Haley, at least, can appeal to the people, the segment of the Republican Party that's ready to move on from Trump. But DeSantis was kind of like trying to be more Trump than Trump or Trump without the drama kind of thing. And no one was looking for that, really.
0: Yeah. Well, bleedingheartland.com, y'all can... Follow Laura's work over there, and it is a fantastic website, and they really do a good job covering uh, what's going on in in Iowa specifically. I mean, really in depth stuff over there. So, Laura, thank, thank you, you so much for joining us, and uh, folks, check it out, Bleeding Heartland. I'm on
1: various platforms: Post, Blue Sky, Twitter at Laura R. Bellin.
0: Perfect. Thank you All very right, much.
1: Happy New Year again. Thanks you for having too. me. Thanks, Laura.
2: Thank you, Laura. See
1: you.
0: All right. We'll let Laura take her leave and uh, jump into the other topics here. She is sharp. Yes, she is. Right, I like her. Yeah,
3: yeah, and like it's it's kind of staggering how little she's looking at her notes.
0: Oh yeah, if that was all locked. That was locked <laughs> I didn't and loaded, see her man. looking at the notes. Yeah, <laughs> that was locked and loaded. Yeah, right.
3: yeah, it's a lot of fun to to pick her brain because she just is an encyclopedia of Iowa. Just, yeah. um.
0: Yeah, right. We awesome. let me get us into the next one here. True or false. All right, we have a true or false coming at you. The true or false is farmland issues are causing a shift in heartland politics, uh, whether that's true or not. And the reason it comes up is because of a couple of different uh, issues. There's a piece from the flatwaterpress.org uh, talking about Nebraska. The title is Who's Buying Nebraska? Uh, about corporate investors up there buying up big chunks of Nebraska farmland. And then in Missouri, uh, somewhat infamously, the uh, Missouri legislature, then Republican-led because you know it happened in the last generation, uh the, the Republican-led Missouri legislature under i believe a bill that was sponsored if i'm not mistaken by Eric Schmidt or he was at least involved with the bill i think he sponsored it uh made it easier for foreign companies foreign owned companies to own farmland in the state of Missouri and that's been a point of contention for a while now and then the other day governor parson here in Missouri issued an executive order very strong executive order uh, I'm being sarcastic for those of you who haven't figured that out yet. Laying it on pretty thick. Issued um, <laughs> yeah. a very strong order. Do you like
3: something that flashes on the screen? It's yeah. like so, like heavy sarcasm warning or something.
0: <laughs> I sometimes <laughs> like have a, just this a a Charlie Brown thing just, where I just have to be like, "Don't you do a sarcasm when you hear it?"
3: <laughs> <laughs> like a spackle, just like just like a big...
0: So, this executive order says you can't buy farmland uh, within 10 miles of military installations in Missouri. Actually, what it says is that he wants the administrative body to develop rules that will keep that from happening. So, it didn't do anything, but it did generate uh, lots of. And who of asked him to do posts. it like that? Yeah, Sean, People don't just
2: come up with here. these ideas on their own, right? Like, that's right. why Smithfield and other Chinese companies were able to buy huge amounts of land, because they asked for the law to be made. So they could. And so when I'm reading the 10 miles around the military thing, I'm like, okay, sure. I guess I can see how that it's like, I guess you're suggesting it's more of a national security thing for Chinese companies to own all the farmland instead of like it's just it's just counter to your guys' fake he populism. He, does he doesn't but know. then but it's that's the thing. It's like someone wants it to look like that. And so my mm-hmm. only
4: mm-hmm.
2: my only hypothesis would be that it's the same people who wanted the initial law change like Smithfield and Chinese companies to be able to buy as much as they want. This seems like a fake step to keep the status quo the same. Yeah. Seems like.
0: It, it certainly seems to make people mad, right? We have, we've talked about this governor's race in Missouri. We've got three Republicans running in that primary. Two of them came out immediately and basically just called Barson you know, names. <laughs> it was just like feckless. And, you know, this is stupid. And like, you know, they want a complete ban, which is by the way, understandable and not that crazy that you would say, this is dumb. You should just call for your Republican led legislature to pass a complete ban. Like just say, I'll sign that law. If you give it to me. Yeah, Rachel? no, it's ridiculous.
3: Yeah. So the two articles, what I thought was really interesting. Uh, and I didn't have as much time to read them as I would have liked. Cause they are, dense like they, yeah, are they are full of uh they're very similar uh in content they talk basically about the price the current cost of and the, the second f- article being one from land. the missouri
0: independent which is about the missouri farmland prices
3: yes and and the uh what the nebraska uh based uh website that i just brought the name of which is very good um both basically are talking about how expensive farmland is getting and who's buying the farmland and why they're buying up so much farmland. And is it causing another, uh, kind of similar to the, uh, the, the, the farm, the farm crisis in the eighties. Um, is this where we're going? Is it a bubble and so forth? And what I thought was kind of interesting is that the church of Latter-day Saints have bought a ton of farmland in the Midwest. And if you're trying to, if the issue is that you want to reduce the cost of farmland and keep it accessible to smaller local farms, mm-hmm. um, the issue isn't China. The issue is Wall Street, primarily. Right. Like you're going to yeah. see a lot more stories because there have been there's a sort of a limit on what commodities these massive funds can buy right now because interest rates are so high. So looking for th- they're looking for opportunities, and then I think the 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 Latter Day Saints are just looking for like they want to they want to be in the agribusiness. Well, they have tons of always- cash. Totally. Land is a great way to use hundred, cash. <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of mm-hmm. what these articles say is that like these are uh, they both say like if you're concerned about foreign land ownership this is not what we're seeing right now. Like there's right. still something like 1% of all agriculture. So it is like I don't know, it does feel like utter, I don't I don't think this is going to move the needle per, t- per se, which is a shame, especially if the the alarmists are right that we are causing another bubble on the price of of farmland. What what I found also to be interesting is that um, this land is going to be developed for things like wind and solar farms, data centers, probably, uh, you know, commercial developers are going to buy it up to try and turn some of them into homes and things like that. So there is really an issue with a scarcity of this commodity called you know, who's going to be able to farm this land in the future. Right. But like governor Parson, like being like, I don't like it. And I'm going to like, who are like, do you have the authority to control military sites anyway? Like that's the federal government. Like what? It's just again, like I, if he wants to sign executive orders, I have a list for him. If he wants to call me, I have some other ideas. Like I did. Is this Andrew Bailey getting in his ear? I don't know. It's pretty, it's pretty lame.
2: It's all I yeah. have to say yeah. the articles
3: are interesting though. Really interesting.
2: Yeah. I think the, The problem is probably real that regular folks trying to hack out a living in these agricultural areas are getting squeezed for no good reason. And what we're seeing from people like Parson is disingenuous, ass covering, and I think nothing more.
0: I think that's well said and good enough. We will move on here to our next topic. You don't say. Yeah, that's right. Uh, We've got one of those on for tonight. The reason is uh, abortion's in the spotlight. Uh, for the 2024 election, <laughs> I mean, it's just yeah, Rachel. Who not not us? We wouldn't have thought such a thing. Constantly and said it almost every Shucks. show for like six months. Shut. <laughs> uh, Vice President Harris gets out there. Uh, Rachel, you uh, highlighted this, and I'll throw it to you first. Uh, out there stumping for abortion rights as 2024 heats up. I mean, it was we we're going to talk about both of the first two actions essentially of the Biden team's 2024 launch. Um, you know, they've been active, but this is really this week. They they hit the ground and they hit the ground running. This was step one. They rolled out this tour. Uh what caught your eye about it? And uh, what do you want to tell us?
3: Well, what caught my eye said I was right. Uh, so you know, it's <laughs> it's handy if you're talking about issues that primarily affect women, uh, mm-hmm. and women assigned uh that gender identity at birth, I should say too. Um uh they're they're the people that are mostly largely affected by these but the, you know the illegality of abortion across the country these yep. ridiculous even more draconian bans and so on and so forth how handy is it uh when the vice president is a woman um of course who knows how to give a speech by the way like Ka- mm-hmm. kamala knows how to give a speech she's not the world's most engaging public speaker. I wish she would kind of let her hair down a little bit more. Cause I think when she does, it's really refreshing and she's really good at it. But when they kind mm-hmm. of button her up a little bit, she's a little bit stiff. Um, uh, But man, like they have the thing that you want in a time like this, which is somebody that has authenticity on the mic and can talk about this issue in a way that like no other president's administration in history can discuss it. He doesn't have to like, Biden doesn't have to like go into the House of Representatives or the Senate to like yank out a woman and be like okay you're going to have to go stump for me this is you're going to be the surrogate on this issue go here are your talking points his vice president is yeah. going to be the um th- this is going to this is probably and it's going to be I think it's going to be I mean I hate to talk about abortion from such political terms because it's so much more serious than that but we said this was going to happen we said she was going to come out right. swinging i think she is um i'm excited to see more i want her to be really forceful on this issue um, I think this is kind of a moment for her, and I really, I really think that I'm right about that. Um, and I think there's, I just think there's going to be more of this. It's just my honest
0: belief. Yeah. Meanwhile, Florida gets a ballot initiative taken care of. They're moving that forward in that state, uh, which, of course, then begs the question about states like Missouri. Sean, uh, you know, obviously the the Florida ballot initiative. I, I don't foresee Florida becoming in play now for the Democrats in 2024 as a result of that, but certainly shows you that even in a state like Florida, where we would, we would you know, I don't care who the Republican nominee is, I think I'm probably going to go ahead and say Florida's in the R column, most likely electorally speaking. The fact that that state's going to be dealing with this issue and on a ballot initiative should show us what the momentum on the ground really looks like, don't you think?
2: Right. I think that's exactly right. And, you know, I think in Democrats' dream scenario or, you know, super desperate scenario, either one, the idea that rick scott in florida might become vulnerable mm-hmm. you know is you know appealing
0: <laughs> just the fact that it, maybe it bleeds some money away from georgia right it, right. it causes them right. to have to rethink the media strategy because of the way those state lines straddle each other in like the atlanta media market and
2: yeah stuff and like overall that. you know it is it's hugely important because you're right you know joe biden has is not an electric speaker. You know, we're going to talk about his speech, which he did a really good job on and it was important. But I mean, he doesn't speak about abortion, you know, the word Mm -hmm. from people who cover the campaign relentlessly and always cite their people that they're sourcing or always, always cite their sources. You know, they'll say that President Biden is not comfortable using the word abortion. It's not Mm -hmm. the word he wants to use. Um, And they'll also say that People like Alyssa Slotkin in Michigan and other Democrats down ballot are wanting more from the White House about Mm -hmm. the stakes in 2024 with regards to abortion or through the lens of abortion. And so it's going to be super important to have Vice President Harris out talking about it. And, you know, maybe Florida doesn't become red, but one of the folks that I listened to, I don't remember who said it on Washington Week, said their Republican sources in Arizona are terrified of an abortion initiative, yeah. an abortion rights initiative, hitting the ballot there because it would really close the door on any chance they have of winning.
0: Yeah, that's that's pretty important and well said, Rachel. Last word on this before we move on to the buy or sell.
3: I've forgotten this really quickly. So the 2018 midterm saw Florida to pass two extremely progressive ballot initiatives. One was to uh in fran- to undisenfranchise uh former um essentially formerly incarcerated people yeah, yeah, like you yeah. could um and the the Florida legislature didn't they couldn't overturn it because it was a constitutional amendment, but they could make it super difficult to prove that you were off paper and all this crazy stuff that um right. I'm not gonna be able to remember offhand. And I the other one I think was the minimum wage increase. I I I think that was the other 2018. People right. can correct yeah. me on that. Um, and so now, Florida is one of the states where they to pass a ballot initiative, you need sixty percent. You need a supermajority of the voters. Mm-hmm. So the question becomes: What I think is really interesting is now that is an ad. So does I this love that. Fire, yeah, this, from a fundraising.
2: <laughs> how,
3: yeah, how badly does this backfire? They said right. on it could be Republicans? done. Republicans like so. May, yeah, so maybe something about like we we you know we're going to try to get a about a, 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 a petition on the ballot for you know, uh, queen, clean water rights. Yeah, maybe you're going to have a hard time with that, but like 60%, are there... I don't know how many millions of people that is. uh Florida's a very populous place, especially now. Are they going to... I mean, if, if you say over and over and over again, we need 60% of you to vote, yes. 60% of you to vote, yes. 60% of you to vote, we need 60%. So there's money there for that. That is a compelling argument, and mm-hmm. that might bring more democrats out than would normal or at least like pro-choice voters i should say that might bring more which is typically more of a swing voter so i think that's really something to pay attention to and i'll be really curious i'd love to talk to anybody involved in that campaign but i'll be really interesting be really interesting to see how that develops
0: and I'll, i'll leave it with this little nugget in the 2020 election donald trump won florida by a little under 400,000 votes, fifty-one point two two percent to forty-seven point eight six percent. I I would not think th- you know if I just asked you both cold, I bet you'd give Trump more than fifty you know fifty-two percent of the vote effectively in Florida. So that's a that's an interesting little little number there. Let's move on. <laughs> All right, the buy or sell. SCOTUS is going to dump Trump. You buy it? Do you sell it? Uh, what do you think about it? I will start by saying I buy it. And the reason that I buy it is I've, I've said this. I don't remember if we've talked about it on a show or not. I think we did. I think I wrote a little bit about it on theheartlandcollective.com. And I've, I've talked about it a little bit on social media. But basically, at the end of the day, the reasoning in the Colorado case... Um, which I think, by the way, is distinct from the main issue. The main issue is a single actor in a ministerial office making a decision. I'm not positive that that one holds up the same. Um, I think the reasoning is the same, but the act is different, whereas the Colorado one is a group of plaintiffs with standing who are given the opportunity to be heard in court where there's a response and where there's you know a, a ruling through due process. And so I think that that's a big big, big difference that there are findings, there was evidence, there was a chance to rebut, and, you know, all of that was involved in it. Uh, It takes a lot of constitutional principles into play that a a single actor doesn't. So I think that it is highly likely to be upheld by the Supreme Court because I think it's going to be very difficult for them to not uphold it, even if they want to not uphold it. Um, This retired federal uh, judge luddig uh he was uh on uh i think he was on yeah msnbc he's been on everything and yeah yeah everything. yeah and <laughs> and uh saying there are very few if any off ramps and i mean it's it's a pretty well said point i think that that's you know to, to find one is very very difficult um You know, in this case, and one of his quotes are what the American people, what the American public is going to come to understand is that the Constitution of the United States is what will forbid the former president from holding the office of the presidency again, if that's the decision of the Supreme Court of the United States. And I I think they're in a really tough spot to overturn it. Sean, I'll start with you uh, as the other lawyer on the show. Do you buy it? Do you sell it? What do you think? And also, I want to get into a little bit these purely political responses from other states
2: right yeah so i think that the supreme court is going to protect trump from being thrown off ballots and i think they're going to do it i mean i think it's obviously the wrong ruling and so what i'll say first is like anyone who actually says they're a textualist or an originalist when it comes to the u.s constitution is full of shit if they say that states can't bar Trump from being on the ballot for right. January 6th like flat out. There is this little bit of wiggle room, I guess, it, they could come up with a ruling where they say it doesn't apply to the president, which I think would be really ridiculous. And it
0: is an issue of first impression, right? So they kind of get to right. do that if they want to. They can just sort of slide something in.
2: But I was going to ask you, you know, like the you know where this court has really actually made some some real law and kind of charted out something for themselves is this idea that states run their own elections. Yes. And, you know, I can't, I can't square it in my mind, this so-called conservative court saying that the state of Colorado's Supreme Court and secretary of state can't decide who has committed an insurrection. It's, you know, it seems really like a bad ruling, Um, but I feel like they're going to end up making a bad
0: ruling um yeah yeah and and they you know the reality of it is that there is precedent for using the 14th amendment so it's not a new thing that's being used um but of course you know with the end of reconstruction and the deals that were struck there that changed a lot of what was going on but it was something that was used uh very effectively right after the civil war and this is you know the first time we've talked about it with a president for sure but yeah, that is gonna be interesting to see where what kind of, you know, gymnastics they might try to pull off there. Cause even if it's upheld, there's gonna be some dissents, right? So we're gonna to get to see the legal reasoning
2: right. um, that well, you're talking about. I need to go back to law school because I totally lost track of this. But uh, you know, if a state This is like a made for a final exam, (laughs) but like the Colorado Supreme Court decides an issue on the 14th Amendment about who's going to be on the ballot, which they're, you know, that's laid out in some other article somewhere else. Um, Would the Supreme Court even be able to remand it to a district fact-finding federal court?
0: No. Right. So they can no, either they'd, they'd yeah. be they'd be just simply invalidating the actions of the state court, and that's why I, that's why I think it's so difficult, right? Because like you say, it's not just that they've done it in election cases; they've used that essential legal logic, and, and and on a lot of their rulings, which is the idea that the the states inherently are in charge of a, a great deal of the decision making that should go on, and it's part of why you know a lot of people have become so focused on governors because the Trump uh, White House and that Supreme Court has basically. Pushed the power from, you know, arguably from the Senate to the governors. If you want to talk about where the 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 second biggest power lies outside of the president's office. So, Rachel, uh, what do you think here?
3: I'm going back to a conversation that we had about this ruling, and and I'm the non-lawyer, so you know, I I kind of what the, the way that usually goes when I have questions now um, about legal anything that has to do with legal analysis. I don't listen to other people. I just call Adam now. <laughs> um, that's how that goes. Cause the law is the law, right? Like the right. law is the law. If there's an opinion, if there's a lawsuit, if there's something, you're a lawyer, you can read it. You can tell me what it means. You give me your opinion, which I trust. And what I keep coming back to is that Trump's argument in Colorado specifically was that he was acting as the president as the and president. he can't prosecute the president. And the, uh, the, the, the people, the groups withstanding that sued to get him off the ballot were like, you were not acting as the president you were acting as the candidate you were acting right. as candidate trump you weren't acting as president trump right. and if his argument in front of the supreme court is i was defending the country against joe biden who really technically lost the election that's not going to work that's going right. to that's going to that's a wet fart or he was you can't prosecute the president but he wasn't doing anything in the business of the nation and i think that is the other like how are they going to square the circle? And when I, I I think you and I were having a conversation about this on our on our Slack channel, Adam, you predicted that you would be shocked if you saw like a five four ruling uh siding with the Colorado Supreme Court. And so yeah. I'm just gonna say that because that's what you said. I don't know, like that just makes sense to me. That's just I was like, Yeah, sure. Yeah, does <laughs> yeah. Roberts, Roberts really, really and
0: Gorsuch? I, I think Oh it's, man, the Colorado it's Roberts Factor. And Gorsuch. Holy shit. Yeah. No, it's it's Roberts and Gorsuch. That's why I get the five four pretty yeah. easily. Yeah, um, how, I think like, he, I think we can pencil he, in Thomas and Alito. I think that's easy. They're going to yeah, know it. it's easy. They're yeah. going fi- to figure out a way to say that Colorado's wrong. Say something um, that no
2: one will ever cite in the future yeah, ever, and no one ever, will ever believe as ever. they read it. It's obvious
0: bullshit. Right? Yeah, correct. It'll totally. be it'll it'll become something that one else read and talk about with each other over drinks. It's going to be like twi- their twi- com law case. It's
3: going to we we will have <laughs> read Twitter screens exactly by then that are more interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's it's going to be to the annals of the of the law schools to to read about. Um, and then in, in response to it, we've got you know in Missouri we've got all these uh, I think Sean's word critters is the best word for this group of folks who are running for higher office. All these Republicans, one of them being the Secretary of State, and he's out there saying I'm going to take Biden off the ballot. And they're basically there's bills being filed to remove Biden from the ballot as long as he's under uh, impeachment inquiry. Uh, from the house basically saying oh if he's under investigation which is ironic because he actually is acting as the president uh, (laughs) at this time but it's just it's such obvious political theater and i'm just not sure anybody's buying it It, you know i guess it's good politics sean for them like with their base but what is there a cost to it i guess well
2: it's hard to see how the politics go because you know the trumpsters are such babies anything that happens to them that's bad like it causes this you know rally around the can't be rally around the flag but you know rally around big orange Jesus (laughs) Um, (laughs) I can see how having Trump kicked off the ballot would help Trump just like his indictments helped him so it's crazy
0: yeah absolutely Uh, well let's move on to the big one
4: and now
0: The big one. All right. It's officially 2024. The big one. That's really, that's what it is. Um, Lots of stuff going on. If you, if you didn't see it, January 5th, uh, president Biden gave a speech. It's his first real campaign speech. I would say um, since the, he gave that one with the red background. That was pretty campaign. Uh, And this was similar in tone, similar in nature. Uh, This time at Valley Forge, I thought the setting was really cool. I thought the uh, the approach to the speech was really neat. Um, And I pulled a couple of quotes out that I will start with. Uh, My favorite quote in the whole speech was, uh, he said, in trying to rewrite the facts of January 6th, Trump was trying to steal history the same way he tried to steal the election. And that is just poetry. I mean, it's exceptionally well-written and it was well-delivered as well and then to me the most satisfying quote it's not as it's not as sexy of a quote but the most satisfying quote trump exhausted every legal avenue available to him to overturn the election every one but the path just took trump back to the truth that i'd won the election and he was a loser so (laughs) i thought that was well done trump then of course responds to the speech by making fun of joe's stutter and then calling for a civil war and blaming lincoln for the first civil war for not negotiating well enough which is just absolutely. I mean, just the level of. And so but it's, yeah, because
2: like Republicans always disingenuously claim Lincoln. They love Lincoln. Yeah, he's yeah, like yeah. I don't even care about that. Yeah, he's like yeah, Lincoln, Lincoln loser. We, we, we would have been against him.
0: <laughs> I would have negotiated him under the table, uh, top hat and all. Is what a loser that guy with his negotiation skills? Just it's just another reminder that this man has zero comprehension of American history. Or any of the facts surrounding slavery or the Civil War or the Republican Party, by the way, (laughs) like in the 10 years, you know, preceding the Civil War and all the negotiating that was going on at the time and how Lincoln was a compromise candidate. He was a compromise. That was the whole point. And they still seceded when he was elected. (laughs) It's like, oh, my God. It'd be like if 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 uh, Joe Manchin was elected president in 2024. And then West Virginia seceded from the union like that. That's that's how insane the idea is that Lincoln was not the compromise candidate. Uh, Meanwhile, the CHIPS Act has kicked in. The Inflation Reduction Act is kicking in. We're seeing good job numbers. Inflation is going down. Gas prices looking pretty good. Unemployment down. Just all kinds of good stories coming out about, uh, you know, factories being built in America. Uh, Trump is trying his best to continue to attack the economy. Uh, all of this is happening, Rachel. I'm going to start with you here. What do you think uh, about 2024 as you sit here today? It's January 7th. This is coming out on the 8th. How are you feeling about 2024?
3: Uh, you know, I I I'm not looking forward to it. I don't know what to say, <laughs> that's fair. and it's I not that's fair. it's not because I am. You know, I think I think Biden's chances of loss have been overstated. I think the polls are too early. I think people are too obsessed with polls. Um, I look at the numbers. I look at, like, the soft landing. There's just so many positive things that the campaign can say that he's done, they can point to. Um, I think yeah. the media has done us dirty. I think they're way too obsessed with Gen Z and their opinions of Joe Biden. I really don't think that when it comes down to it, uh, when they, you know, when younger people have the chance to vote, they're not gonna, um, they're not gonna vote for Uncle Racist. They're not gonna vote for like, I really, like I understand that there's a lot of frustration with Biden, Gaza, and so forth. Um, are you gonna really, really vote for the most Islamophobic president right. in the history of the country instead? Um, I don't, I don't buy that. But it's not like I, Trump's
0: gonna come out and say, I can't believe what we've done to the people of Palestine. No, unless he's, he's really to reinstate the Muslim ban, right? Yeah.
3: Yeah, but no, he's out there talking about like dirtying the blood and all this like exactly just ridiculous nonsense. Um, so I'm uh, the thing that has been so blissful about the past, even with all of the difficulties that we faced with, um, just the the onslaught of anti LGBTQ laws, the uh the reversal of Roe. I mean, just on the war in Gaza, the war in Ukraine, like the world being the difficult place that it is now and has always been the best thing about it is that I've had not had to listen to a single word out of Donald Trump's mouth. Um, yeah. I could avoid him. Uh, I I knew he was out there. I knew he was doing things. I knew he was saying stuff, but I could completely tune him out if I wanted to. And we are officially entering, entering the where That's just not going to be possible. I'm going to have to pay awesome. attention to him. <laughs> um, but I think that people have underestimated. First of all, I think they're underestimating Joe Biden. I think, I think, I used to think that Biden wasn't really a campaigner. I kind of think he is now because there's nothing that he wants more than to beat Donald Trump again. He's so motivated and I know that he's got a stutter and he's old and those two things and you put them together. It does make for a halting, not particularly inspirational speaker, but the story that he gets to tell the story that everybody gets to tell about him, it's all pretty compelling and the ticks against him are not as bad as I think people are making them out to be now. Yeah. Um. I re- really quickly, I read this op-ed earlier in teen Vogue and I won't even say who wrote it cause it's so embarrassing. And this is from last March. So it's, it's old now. I saw it today on social media and they were bitching about Biden and his like promises that he broke to young people. And they mentioned this, the student debt forgiveness. I was like, well, you can't really hang that on. he tried, You know, like and he's searching. Well, and then the real world
2: hundreds of thousands of people have had their loans forgiven. Like my wife Michelle who had been denied through the public service loan forgiveness program wrongfully dozens of times. She'd been paying every single month. She'd been trying to keep all the documents straight. It was a messed up, rickety system. And Biden got it done for her. And same with her sister. And I'm guessing for lots of other people. (laughs) I know,
3: I know like three people who have called me crying saying I, owe, who have like PhDs and advanced degrees and stuff, master's degrees and so forth, who are in like way up over a hundred thousand, like a mortgage, basically like a Midwestern mortgage and like calling, like sending me screenshots saying, you know, you, Currently, your current student loan balance is zero dollars and zero cents. So there's that. There was we like, even pitch. not to clear, oh, sorry, but no, 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 we even pay- got a
2: check later for fifteen dollars from the United States Treasury for overpayment. Just for the bullshit of applying and getting denied so many times wrongfully, they were like we damages see that <laughs> you had to waste a ton of time.
0: Preemptive damages. You might have actually, <laughs> so- <laughs> when you cashed that check, you might have actually given up on a real lawsuit.
3: So the other, the other, like the other <laughs> hey, like
0: we got what we needed.
3: <laughs> so I think that's, I think that's kind of still, I don't think that's fair. And I think that's silly. Then there was the, you know, he said that he was going to raise the minimum wage. I'm like, well, if if build back better had passed, he would have, right? Like it's in the interest of the Republican party to make sure he can't accomplish anything because then right. he can't crow about it. But look what he did, even without the support of Congress, right? Mm-hmm. Like all of these, the other thing Insulin. that I thought was really funny, this is like, and then I'll I'll, I'll throw it to Sean, because I thought this was kind of like, just like, this is young people, this is why people like me look at you and go, shh, but listen to mom for a second, listen to auntie, listen to auntie Rachel. So in the article it said, so we can't get our student loan forgiveness, but the federal government can bail out Silicon Valley Bank. And I was like, that's not what happened.
0: So that didn't happen at all. The they federal, got bought by private investment.
3: Yeah, it, well, this the, FC, It's it's the, federal bank is not the federal government it has, I know right. it has federal in the name and I get that that's really confusing, but you're a political, you're a politics yeah, editor. That's crappy. You should writing. know the difference between yeah. no. So that's my beef with like the world right now. It's just like, there's, we've been living in a sea of crappy writing and what we're about <laughs> to live in a sea of speaking of like my apprehension is just, I don't think we have yet to really live through the worst Trump face plants that we've ever seen. Yeah. He's gotten older too. He seems to not really know like what's going on half the time when he talks, like when I've watched, yeah, he's sweating as much, a lot. Like, he just doesn't, he really does seem like he's just kind of off of his game. He is under a tremendous amount of stress.
2: Yeah. Not it's yeah.
3: stressful enough to run for president, right? It's stressful enough to be Joe Biden, to be the president, to have to handle wars in two theaters. Africa is not in great shape. Britain is like, yeah, like there's all these things that are going on that are massively important. He had to sort of help negotiate a soft landing in the United States, which like, I don't know why people aren't just like throwing ticker tape parades over that right now. I don't quite get it. They're also afraid. They're like, but there could still be a recession. Yes. And, um, a a building could fall on people like all kinds of horrible things could happen, but like, it looks like it might not be as bad as we thought. The recessions have been limited to sectors like tech that overhired during the pandemic. Um, so what, what I think people forget is that Trump is about to lose his business empire. And even if he doesn't lose it, he's going to have to fight to keep it. Trump is fighting to stay out of jail. Yep. So even if he doesn't go to jail, he's going to have to fight to make sure he doesn't go to jail. So even if like people are worried about like the appeals process and what if he doesn't, you know how much time and money it takes to stay out of court when you are facing the kind of charges that he's got to face at a time when he's not making the kind of money he used to make from yeah. his properties because they're basically in they're basically like in being held sort of like in an escrow right now because he right. he lost in New York. So he's I don't I mean he's going to say some bananas stuff. He's going to he's going right. to say stuff about like Let's where the aliens like didn't they say there were aliens like what about the spacemen like he's oh, going to say crazy stuff out. yeah and uh it's going to be awful anyway that's what I have to say about all
0: yeah the uh, the sweating has really increased in an impressive way uh, Sean I don't know if you've <laughs> noticed this but as somebody who has in the last couple of years of my life taken my health back over in an appropriate way um, I see Donald Trump on stage in january december in yeah he's wearing a suit and it can get hot in those places but like what else is this guy doing like why is he sweating this much and i I mean stage makeup is heavy i've worn that stuff before it's gross and he's basically walking around in the equivalent of stage makeup all of the, the time which is insane um but sean the, there was also a new york times article that kind of compared right now to 1948 talking about like the dissatisfaction with Truman, even though he was doing a good job, but he couldn't, you know, didn't have control over all of the factors that were out there, but he had improved things from where they were and yada, yada, yada. And, uh, but that he still was, was getting bad, you know, bad press and, and bad, you know, uh, bad reactions from voters. Do you think that it really is that, like 1948, Sean, or is this, you know, really a much better picture for biden now like have you come around Truman won in
2: 1948 right
0: right yes but again the famous dewey defeats truman
2: sure yeah no so i think maybe it does look like that (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, that's a fair point you know oh and i do want to throw out
0: there uh before you get too deep i want to throw out there i did put up a very scientific poll on our twitter feed uh, asking people (laughs) uh, after biden's january 5th speech are you excited for biden or still wanting an alternative and uh 54 respondents, don't know if they were likely voters or registered voters uh, or bots. Uh, 54% respondents, uh, 77% said excited for Biden, 22% said waiting for the alternative. So Sean, where are you at, man?
2: Yeah, so former President Obama was talking to Biden's senior campaign staff recently and there were a few people who came out of that meeting with quotes from Obama who said that, Basically, Biden has some kind of campaign things he needs to address. He needs to either empower the people who run his campaign or send somebody down who he trusts. Because it seems like the campaign is kind of waiting to hear back from the president of the United States, who's obviously very busy. And the context of this is abortion again. You know, when you're campaigning, the issue that animates swing voters the most doesn't change day in and day out. Right. And so, you know, Biden's wanting to point to a lot of different things that he's done and a lot of different things that could happen and kind of fill out the big picture of the choice facing voters and the campaign probably should be focused exclusively on abortion.
4: Yeah. Um
2: and so and that's also not just based on a hunch, it's based on the fact that not focusing exclusion, exclusively on abortion talking about like the valley forge speech you mentioned the other main campaign speech he gave was in philadelphia and it was right. very similar in tone and content and so that's what president biden seems to be most comfortable talking about this idea of chaos versus competence in 2020 that was the you know that was a very competent campaign that joe biden ran that year And he ended up winning. And then what's so crazy is that after he won, January 6th happened. And I think, you know, just from working with a lot of candidates, none as accomplished as President Biden, obviously. um, This idea that he was proven right after he said all this stuff, you know, is incredibly seductive. Like, you can't get away from it. You want to remind people like I was right. I told you it was going to be chaos with Trump and then January 6th happened and you have to listen to me that that's what's going to happen again. Right. And that's all true, but the polls are are what the polls are. And like you cannot know how RFK Jr. and Cornel West and Jill Stein and Marion Williamson, I guess she's on the primary ballot so she will probably fade away, but a state like Michigan, you know, from the campaign if you're in the campaign, like it's going to be down to the last day, you know, who knows what's going to happen. But like Rachel was saying, you know, if you're, if you're worried about it as a regular person and kind of wondering how are things going to unfold, it looks great for Joe Biden because abortion (laughs) is not going away. The, the economy is looking good. Wages are going up, you know, the, the, the jobs numbers, you know, They keep looking good. And again, it could all erode really quickly. People are fickle. But you know, it as we go into 2024, Iowa caucuses are next week. Democrats looks like they're not really gonna have a primary. Dean Phillips doesn't have more than a handful of percentage points in support. So It looks like it's going to be Biden versus Trump and the polls show a dead heat, which given the reality of the situation, like, you know, in the real world, lots of MAGA types, Republican people, you know, the guys you talk to and in line at the feed store or whatever. They're talking about there's going to be a civil war. And Trump's saying the same thing. There's going to be a civil war. And then at the same time, Trump is saying Biden is fear mongering about democracy. Bullshit. Also, in the real world, people are afraid of political violence. Right. In every city, we've seen it. Some guy in a truck plowing into protesters. It's not just in Charlottesville. It happened here. It's happened other places. People are afraid of political violence. And Trump saying that Biden is fear-mongering about the violent tendencies that he's indulging and the violent acts that he's encouraging, the retribution and the revenge that he's promising, you know, that makes me think Biden's going to have an easy time having to a message that resonates.
0: Do you, do you think that I'll start with Sean and then go to Rachel. These can be kind of quick uh, answers. Um, do, you know, we haven't talked about, cause this is such a unique election because we have an incumbent running against an ex president, which is such a rare thing to have. Um, do you think that the incumbency here, given the fact that that doesn't appear, there's going to be, th- maybe there's another, a third party candidate, but it doesn't at this point appear that there is going to be enough time to make a serious third party candidate appeal at this point outside of, you know, there's this story about New Hampshire and because of Biden's uh, you know, not really worrying about New Hampshire, that maybe that could be a problem. And it could be like a 1968 thing with Lyndon Johnson, but do you see that or do you see it more likely that as an incumbent, this is going to be kind of a, a, you know, a walk for Biden in the primary as it should be as a sitting president. And that more importantly, that, the 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 status quo as a as an incumbent paired with like you're talking about this kind of chaotic time. Well, Democrats continue to represent sort of the mom comfort side of politics for people. And isn't that an advantage in a time of, you know, uh, to quote, oh, brother, Arthur, this times of war and want. Right. No, totally. There were some open questions. And I still in
2: my heart, I fear the, (laughs) I feared the effects of the campaign trail on Biden. And like, I still think it's likely that someone like J.B. Pritzker (laughs) emerges. But in terms of the primary, in terms of locking up the delegates going into the convention, seems like it's Biden's. And, you know, when it comes to Trump, there was a really smart guy on Washington Week just breaking it down extremely concisely he consolidated support. There was a moment where Ron DeSantis had a real opening and Mm -hmm. he blew it all over the floor.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He blew chunks.
1: (laughs) He took way too long to
2: get in. And when he got in, he didn't criticize Trump. Those are very specific things that he did wrong. And, you know, we'll see if his super PAC can deliver a win in Iowa and we'll see if it means anything. But yeah, I think, you know, Trump is going to thunder along and, Uh, we'll see if, you know, some journalist who catches him when he's been up all night and he says, you know, could you see a circumstance, Mr. Trump, where you stay after Mm -hmm. a full Mm -hmm. term? And I bet, depending on when you catch him, Trump might say yes, because obviously he's constitutionally limited to two terms. This would be his second term. And he tried to stay in power when he lost last time. I could Mm -hmm. see him trying to stay Mm -hmm. in power. And, um... Yeah it's, yeah, it's a big choice people have.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Rachel, same question to you, and we'll close it out there before we go through the last call.
3: Remind me of your uh, question because I was super engaged uh, with what Sean was saying and I forgot yeah. to you asked
0: him. Basically, are we undervaluing the uh, incumbency for Biden and, and, oh, yeah, and so, that paired with the natural tendency of voters to see the Democrats as sort of the comfort mom party in a time like this where it's pretty scary think, out there. It's pretty chaotic.
3: I think... In co- I think incumbency, so one of the reasons that it was so unusual that Trump lost is because of how potent incumbency typically proves itself to be. It's very difficult to disrupt an incumbent who doesn't want to go away. Single digits
0: that a president has lost when seeking re-election. Yeah, yeah,
3: this is the second in my life, right? Right. Like, that's... um, and the first time it was because of Ross Perot, basically. Uh, right. And right. that that's the, whatever, whatever you want to say. So I think for people again, like I'll just say like for people that are worried, I understand you should be concerned. I wish that Biden were more imaginative when it comes to some of his uh, strategies. I I echo what Sean said. I think that's really smart. Sean, thank you for saying that so uh, beautifully as you want to do. Um, but he, and man, he hate like old man Biden really hates Trump. So I think, like, you know, as much as it, I think there's really a, does, I think there's a, a gear he'll he really does. And I think there's a gear that he's going to find called he just wants to take away all of our rights. He doesn't just want to take, he wants to take away everybody's right to exist. He wants to take, he wants to make it impossible for anybody. Like, there's that gear that I think he still believes that there's this kind of, I don't know, America where everybody wants to see sort of a calm guy saying rational things. And I hope that, uh, gaff Biden shows up because gaff Biden says awesome stuff. Like people right. who are gay should be able to get married. And like, right. we need gun control. This is awesome stuff. So like, I, you know, I know Blinken was pissed off when he called she a di- a dictator, but I was like, I mean, he is, what's he going to say that? Was he going to pretend like Xi Jinping is not he is. Right. A yeah, take it to TikTok. So, I would like Get to out see out here, more
4: right.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah 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 I'd like so I want I want gaffe or Biden um but I think that it is gonna be I think Trump has nothing but uh if you've ever tried to walk up a wet dune, if you've ever tried to scale a wet sand dune, if you've ever mm-hmm. done that, run at the beach when it's raining and you're just trying to see how that's gonna work. It's terrible. It's yeah. awful. You don't go anywhere. You work your ass off and you go nowhere and you get really messy. And that's Trump's next 10 months. Yeah. Is walking up a wet dune. That's his <laughs> life.
0: Well, we're going to take a quick break and be back with the last call. Reminder, you can subscribe at theheartlandcollective.com, click the subscribe button at $5 a month or up. You get the last call episodes. We're going to be talking about Nikki Haley in 2024. Uh, We're going to have some fun with that. Let Sean really just go nuts, uh, and we'll riff off of that. So stick around. That's what's coming in the last call. And if you're a subscriber, go get that full episode over there from our Patreon, or if you've already got it in your podcast feed, it might be there already. Uh, And if not, it'll be there very, very shortly. And if you're not a subscriber, what are you doing? Go get signed up so you can get the last call and uh, help out this independent journalism. Last Call. All right. We are here. It's the last call. We're back. We finished the uh, big show. And now it's time for the last call. Uh, If you are hearing this right now, then it means that you are not a subscriber. And I say that because I'm going to edit this part out uh, for the subscribers version of the show. This is for $5 and up subscribers. Go to theheartlandcollective.com and you can get all of our last call shows. And there's going to be more than just the last call that you'll find as well. There's going to be more shows. I may actually rebrand this channel from last call so that it includes more shows so that we can start putting out some exclusive content, which is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and what we do on the last call is we talk about whatever we want. It's usually political. Might not be. Uh, and we kind of just go for it. You know, just let loose and... and uh There's no, no holds barred. Uh, we do whatever you want, say whatever you want and go, go to town. Um, you know, within factual reasons. So this last call is, uh, about the 2024 election. We're going to talk a lot about that in the coming months, but specifically we're going to talk about the GOP side a little bit here and some Nikki Haley stuff. So Sean, let me just open by asking you, because I know that Rachel's excited to hear you talk about Nikki Haley as am I. So I'll let her react to you here. Uh, First of all, Sean, can you tell us what one of the main causes was of the Civil War? Um, (laughs) And whether or not you think the answer to that question by Nikki Haley really was as dumb as we all think it was.
2: Well, it's funny the way you set up the episode because Nikki Haley is kind of like Britney Spears to me in that I've never said anything bad about her.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to start. Damn it!
2: <laughs> um, no, she seems like she's having a moment. She seems like a force. Who knows what she's going to turn it into? But yeah, the slavery thing was a a moment that I think more than anything showed what kind of microscope she's under. Mm-hmm. And I don't know much beyond. You know, I don't know much about her response beyond the fact that she somewhat quickly said, "Yeah, I." You know, it was obviously slavery. <laughs> Beef that one. Yeah. Right, <laughs> but this uh, this profile you sent.
0: Heartland Pod is a production of Midmap Media LLC. Producers Adam Summer, Rachel Parker and Sean Diller. Outro song by American Aquarium written by BJ Barnum called The World Is On Fire. Learn more about the Heartland Pod at heartlandpod.com. Learn more about American Aquarium at americanaquarium.com.
4: That's when I saw a tear fall from her eyes She said what are we gonna do What's this world coming to For the first time in my whole life I stood there speechless Come the home of the afraid Afraid of the world Afraid of the truth Afraid of each other This ain't the country my grandfather fought for But I still see the hate he fought against Give rest to the tired to the poor. he warmth to the hurt. fight She'll have her mama's fire If anyone builds a wall in her journey